Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thank you, Doug. It's still generally quieter across North Dakota lakes as we move deeper into fall and hunting season. However, Devil's Lake anglers are still finding walleye. Small walleye, that is. Try jigging deeper holes, rock piles, or along any of the bridges, as well as working spinners with bottom bouncers along the highways. I don't have reports from East Bay this week, and anglers aren't talking much about Pipestem or Jamestown Reservoirs, as well as Spiritwood Lake. Activity's pretty light there as well. However, some anglers on Lake Ashtabula continue finding a mix of walleye, pike, and some panfish. It's not a strong fall walleye bite or fall bite in general, but it's enough to at least say there's a little success. Please remember it's really important to follow all ANS regulations, especially on Lake Ashtabula, where zebra mussels are a problem. Anglers can be part of the solution to limiting their spread with proper boat inspections and cleaning. Low Garrison Dam releases are creating some access issues downstream on the Missouri River, its tailrays, and further downriver into Lake Oahe, south of Bismarck Mandan. While efforts are being made to try to keep access available, anglers need to be careful about getting on and off the water, as well as maneuvering around exposed sandbars and islands and the submerged islands. It's part of the effort to conserve water and lake levels as the drought remains a concern going into the winter. That's why the lower releases. The Missouri River tail race is inconsistent with little salmon success from shore. The best activity seems to be in the morning using crankbaits, spoons, or night crawlers on bobbers from shore. Access is becoming increasingly difficult with low river levels in the tail race as well. Use caution, and in the tail race, you want to watch out for the fluctuating water levels. However, look for fair catfish success from shore off the rocks. Try Government Bay on the east end of Lake Sakakawea for salmon using crankbaits or spoons, and there's a little bobber success from shore and boats. Spillway and Scoria Bays have some salmon activity, but it's important to consider that it's the time of the year when overall success can quickly change. Look for salmon to move around quite a bit more. And you'll want to focus on finding areas with fish activity. You might see something like swirling water as fish move shallow towards the surface. Try any of the bays around the dam, as well as along the dam itself, with scattered salmon success from boats. In general, the number of salmon anglers is slowing down. The east end of Lake Sakakwe is somewhat slow for walleye, but there's a bit of a fall walleye bite on the Van Hook Arm of the midsection. The better walleye success is on Lake Audubon, but their access is limited to the East Totten boat ramp, and some shallow areas are showing up. 
We're moving into pheasant season beginning October 9th, so please remember to watch that species identification. There might be some young birds that aren't fully colored yet. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Here is a Podcast Extra. Wanted to get a chance to go to the North Dakota Game and Fish, their aquatic nuisance species coordinator, which is Ben Holen. Um, ben, good to have you on News and Views. Thanks for having me. Okay, my little lake, the lake I live on, you know, it's only 400 acres or so, uh, zebra mussels were found. Now, is that, is that, uh, let me see how I put this. How many, how many bodies of water are there in North Dakota now where you found zebra mussels? Sure. Well, we're fairly lucky because we're limited on what we have for zebra mussels in the state. Uh, we're now up to four um, water bodies, like you mentioned, Lake Elsie um, just became positive for zebra mussels uh, this year. We identified them in the lake. Uh, it's a growing number, it seems, over the last few years. We're, we're finding them in, in more water bodies frequently. So got to be uber vigilant over these next few years and, you know, preach clean, drain, dry to our water users and make sure everyone's doing the right thing when we're recreating on our water bodies. So what other bodies in North Dakota? I know sure. Lake, have, uh, Lake Lamore is one, is it not? Yep, Lake Lamore, Twin Lake, which is located, you know, six miles northwest of Lamore. There's a lot of boating traffic between those two lakes is another one. And then Lake Ashtabula, north of Valley City, is our fourth water body. Okay. And then it, it, it just, um, zebra mussels reproduced by villagers. Um, these villagers are, 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 have villagers, and these villagers are free-floating in the water column for two, three weeks. Um, so everything downstream of these lakes, if it runs downstream, also gets zebra mussels. So you see um, zebra mussels on the Cheyenne River and also the Lower James because Lamar dumps into the Lower James River. So are, are they, you know, like wild rice, are these places where you test? I mean, you know, Ben, you, we talk about, you know, the, the fishing boats and the pleasure boats and all of that, you know, the speed boats. Is, is that how they're transferring? There, there's a wide variety of vectors that can be transporting them. So, yes, they can be um, hauled on recreational traffic, you know, things like wakeboard boats. They're high-risk boats because they can take in a lot of water. Um, if they're on a zebra mussel-infested water body and you don't drain your ballast tanks, you can be taking up many liters of water and thousands of villagers. You drive to the next lake, release those ballast tanks, and you just released a bunch of villagers in the water. Um Big equipments like boat docks and boat lifts. If you have own a cabin and you purchase a used boat dock from Minnesota or somewhere in South Dakota that has zebra mussels and don't take the proper um, procedures to either clean it off or allow it to thoroughly dry and then put it in a new lake, you you can spread zebra mussels through there. But there there's a wide variety of different mechanisms, whether it be um, you know recreational traffic, you know boat docks and boat lifts, um, commercial big equipment. Um, like oil activity and things like that, um, or e e even pet releases can, you know, cause that. We just had an incident earlier this year where we were notified by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that zebra mussels were found on moss balls used for betta fish. So we had to go around to pet stores and collect moss balls that were being sold at pet stores because they had zebra mussels on them. So there's just a wide variety of vectors out there, and 
Uh, it just shows the importance of being aware of it whenever you're recreating or or doing something near water. So let me ask you this, is this inevitable? Uh, is this you're, you're trying to slow them down more than what we can avoid it period on certain lakes? Sure. I I mean, in in some places it's going to be extremely tough given the amount of recreation uh, that goes on it. But, you know, if, if we can delay and slow the spread in certain uh, areas, it's definitely worth having, you know, those great resources stay the same for years to come. In, in North Dakota, we, we kind of have a proven formula for growing a lot of our fish species. Our, our uh, prairie pothole lakes are very productive, provide great angling opportunity. And we want to keep it um, like that for many years to come. And, you know, I, I hope that my kids and uh, their kids will enjoy the same opportunities they have for fishing and, and catching fish that, you know, I currently enjoy. So uh, it, it, it's definitely a, a daunting task, but I think if we have an educated boat public out there, we can really slow the spread of these things here in North Dakota. So what is there any good side to zebra mussels? Is there any, I, I've had some people say, it, you know, it cleans out the lake. They have a short or not a short lifespan, but you know, they get into the lake, they, they get everything cleaned up and then there's nothing left for them to eat and they're gone. And that's, you know, I, I've heard that too. It's typically not how, how things work in North Dakota. We have some of the most eutrophic lakes here. Um, you know, very shallow lakes. So if we increase water clarity, the zebra mussels are, are taking a bunch of that nutrients in the form of algae and deposit, deposit them in bottom sediments. So yeah, your water clarity might be better, but all that nutrients is going to the bottom and it and gets um, spurs plant growth. And so now instead of fishing a weed line at two, three feet, like you're used to, you know, you have the entire lake that's, um, conducive to having vegetation and it makes recreation or fishing very difficult. So if, if you're in a situation where your lake has zebra mussels, how long does that cycle exist or is it permanent? Sure. And it really depends what we see in other areas, um, you know, similar to us in Kansas, South Dakota, they might be heavily, heavily persistent, you know, in the four, first four to five years where it's just like they're on every structure, every surface, but it seems like they either reach a carrying capacity or, uh, you know, are limited on nutrients or other factors, disease and things like that. And then you can still find them throughout the lake, but they're not nearly as, you know, prolific as they were during those first years of introduction after introduction. Okay. On Lake Ashtabula, you know, we, we found zebra mussels in 2019. Uh, and you can go to any um, rock structure near that dam underwater, and, and you're going to find two, three inches thick of zebra mussels on pretty much every single rock by by that dam. And and that's the way it's just going to be, uh, Ben. Or you, you know, no. Well, it, it really depends on the system. Like I said, a lot of other areas where we haven't we haven't had zebra mussels in North Dakota, so we don't exactly know what's going to happen. But in areas close to us, they'll be prolific like that for three, four, five years. And then they start dying off, whether they reach a carrying capacity or, or whatever. And you can still find live adults in the lake, but they're much more manageable than, you know, that during those first years of introduction. Um, you know, they, they will continue to be a, a problem for water resources, you know, through the lake's, you know, entire history. They'll, they'll clog water intakes. 
if they get into hydropower facilities, uh, hydropower facilities battle um, zebra mussel infestations and, and the costs in the millions every year. So it's not something that just goes away o- overnight. Yeah, the population might come down, but they're going to persist in the lake. So l- let me let me put it this way: like in in the Minnesota side, uh, where where you know a lot more lakes. But a lot of I've got a lot of friends that are over on the Minnesota side, and their lakes have zebra mussels. When they go in, they wear water shoes. You know, they don't want to get cut up. In terms of you know human use, you know people using them for recreation. How does it directly affect them? Sure, and it depends on the type of recreation they're doing too. We you just mentioned it for swimmers. Um, they can be, zebra mussels can be so thick in areas where you, you have to be wearing shoes or you're going to be cutting up your feet bad. So any people on beaches and things like that, yeah, that go on zebra mussel infested water bodies, they should be wearing protective, um, shoes. Um, if you're a boat or cabin owner on one of these water bodies, you're going to pull off your docks and lifts and they're going to be pretty caked with zebra mussels. Um, you know, in some areas it can be, if you leave your boat in the water, you can damage your engine and things like that over a long period of time because they will get completely full of zebra mussels to the point where, you know, your engine's having difficulty getting water. Um, if you're a fisherman, it, it, it could uh, influence uh, your fishing, whether it be, you know, an increased weed line where it's growing out past uh, 10 feet because of the increased water clarity and nutrients in the bottom. Or it could affect uh, fish growth in certain areas. I know in Minnesota, they've seen, uh, you know, a reduction of uh, walleye and uh, yellow perch growth in some of their Minnesota lakes that have zebra mussels. So fish are growing faster. You're not catching as big as fish as you used to as a result of, you know, zebra mussels manipulating that ecosystem. So let me do this. In you know, water where, okay, up on the shoreline, the water might be two, three feet deep. You go walking into the lake and you're now uh, within about 50 yards. You're, you're finally up where you're over your head in the, in the stuff closest to the shore, frost doesn't affect the zebra mussels. I mean, if, no, okay. It it, it will, it will kill them. So it, you often find in these new zebra mussel populations them in deeper water because, like you said, in North Dakota, we have two, three feet of ice, and it, it will kill those freshly settled zebra mussels in, in that lower water. And, and this year, you know, we've had a um, just low water from evaporation, and so a lot of zebra mussels we've seen exposed on the Red River or in Ashtabula are out of water right now, you know, dying, but it's not enough to affect that population. Okay. So what would your advice be as a whole? If you could tell people, you know, inform them one thing that you want them to do when it comes to zebra mussels, what would it be? Sure. I I think that if you recreate on a water body, whether it be fishing, wakeboarding, whatever, um, swimming or anything like that, it's just know that you carry some responsibility um, from preventing the spread of these things. So that that should always be on your mind whenever you enter a water body or or exit one being like hey i need to go through my precaution checklist here to make sure that i'm not accidentally transmitting a ans to a new water body because one mess up by someone could really affect a lot of people 
and know that, you know, you, you carry some weight and responsibility as a water user. So you make sure everything's, you know, clean, drain, dry, make sure you're pulling out your plugs, make sure your boats don't have residual water and you're removing all vegetation. Okay. Uh, Ben, I thank you. Uh, obviously we're, we're, you know, frustrated. We knew it's like this. We assumed it was going to happen. You know, everybody would, you'd hope everybody would take a step to make sure it doesn't, but you just assume knowing that you've got all of these neighboring lakes right across the border, that it's going to happen. You've got guys that fish a lot of different uh, bodies of water. And so, you know, to, to hear some of the explanation that you have to, to where, you know, look, this is the cycle of it all. It's, it's almost as though I get it. I understand it. And in X number of years, it may not be as bad, but for some years now, it's going to be a real pain. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank, thanks for the time. Uh, thanks for having me on, Joel. You bet. Ben Holland, ladies and gentlemen, North Dakota Game and Fish Department's Aquatic Nuisance Species Coordinator. Um, you know, frustrating. It's it, in having all these friends that head over to Minnesota you know, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen in my little lake. It's it's not as though it's going to take away everything that we can do in the lake uh, or certainly how we do it in the lake, but, you know, how it affects fishermen and, and those type of things, how it's going to affect me. And I fish that lake a lot. You know, what happens is going to be quite interesting. Uh, and some of the other bodies, I mean, look at Ashtabula, look at uh, Lake Lamore, look at some of the others. It'll you know, in about, you know, five years, if I'm still sitting in this chair, I'll interview them again, and I can guarantee you this, there'll be more. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available, boy. Ben, the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.